Hey everybody, it's me, Ellie, and welcome to Classic Mysteries. This week we're going to be starting The Adventure of the Western Star by Agatha Christie. I am personally very excited because I have never read any Agatha Christie, as I mentioned before. One note about this, as I'm sure most of you know, the main character of most of Agatha Christie's works has a very French name, which I will struggle to pronounce. This will be an adventure. With no more waffle, let's get right into it. I was standing at the window of Poirot's room, looking out idly on the street below. That's queer, I ejaculated suddenly beneath my breath. What is mon ami? asked Poirot placidly from the depths of his comfortable chair. Deduce, Poirot, from the following facts. Here's a young lady, richly dressed, fashionable hat, magnificent furs. She is coming along slowly, looking up at the houses as she goes. Unknown to her, she is being shadowed by three men and a middle-aged woman. They have just been joined by an errand boy who points after the girl, gesticulating as he does so. What drama is this being played? Is the girl a cook? Are the shadowers detectives preparing to arrest her? Or are they the scoundrels, and are they plotting to attack an innocent victim? What does the great detective say? The great detective, mon ami, chooses, as ever, the simplest course. He rises to see for himself. And my friend joined me at the window. In a minute, he gave vent to an amused chuckle. As usual, your facts are tinged with your incurable romanticism. That is Miss Mary Marvel, the film star. She's being followed by a bevy of admirers who have recognized her. And, en passant, my dear Hastings, she is quite aware of the fact. I laughed. So all is explained, but you get no marks for that, Poirot. It was a mere matter of recognition. En vérité, and how many times have you seen Mary Marvel on the screen, mon cher? I thought. About a dozen times, perhaps. And I, once. Yet I recognize her, and you do not. She looks so different, I replied rather feebly. Ah, sacré, cried Poirot. Is it that you expect her to promenade herself in the streets of London in a cowboy hat, or with bare feet and a bunch of curls as an Irish Colleen? Always with you it is the non-essentials. Remember the case of the dancer, Valérie St. Clair. I shrugged my shoulders, slightly annoyed. But console yourself, mon ami, said Poirot, calming down. All cannot be as Hercule Poirot. I know it well. You really have the best opinion of yourself of anyone I ever knew, I cried, divided between amusement and annoyance. My gosh, he is so vain, I love this. Like Sherlock Holmes, he's vain, but he doesn't show it. Poirot is just... He doesn't give a flip. He is amazing. What will you? When one is unique, one knows it. And others share that opinion, even, if I mistake not, Miss Mary Marvel. What? Without a doubt, she's coming here. How do you make that out? Very simply. The street, it is not aristocratic, mon ami. In it, there is no fashionable doctor, no fashionable dentist. Still less is there a fashionable milliner. But there is a fashionable detective. Oui, my friend, it is true. I am become the mode, the Dania Cri. One says to another, comment, you have lost your gold pencil case? You must go to the little Belgian. He is too marvelous. Everyone goes. Courrey. And they arrive, in flocks, mon ami, with problems of the most foolish. A bell rang below. What did I tell you? That is Miss Marvel. As usual, Poirot was right. After a short interval, the American film star was ushered in and we rose to our feet. Miss Marvel was undoubtedly one of the most popular actresses on the screen. She had only lately arrived in England in company with her husband, Gregory B. Rolfe, also a film actor. Their marriage had taken place about a year ago in the States, and this was their first visit to England. They had been given a great reception. Everyone was prepared to go mad over Mary Marvel, her wonderful clothes, her furs, her jewels, above all one jewel, the great diamond which had been nicknamed, to match its owner, the Western Star. Ooh. 
Much, true and untrue, had been written about this famous stone which was reported to be insured for the enormous sum of 50,000 pounds. All these details passed rapidly through my mind as I joined with Poirot in the greeting of our fair client. Miss Marvel was small and slender, very fair and girlish looking, with the wide innocent blue eyes of a child. Poirot drew forward a chair for her, and she commenced talking at once. You'll probably think me very foolish, Monsieur Poirot, but Lord Cronshaw was telling me last night how wonderfully you cleared up the mystery of his nephew's death, and I felt that I just must have your advice. I dare say it's only a silly hoax, Gregory says so, but it's just worrying me to death. She paused for breath. Poirot beamed encouragement. Proceed, madame. You comprehend. I am still in the dark. It's these letters. Miss Marvel unclasped her handbag and drew out three envelopes which she handed to Poirot. The latter scrutinized them closely. Cheap paper, the name and address carefully printed. Let us see the inside. He drew out the enclosure. I had joined him and was leaning over his shoulder. The writing consisted of a single sentence, carefully printed like the envelope. It ran as follows. The great diamond, which is the left eye of the god, must return once it came. The second letter was couched in precisely the same terms, but the third was more explicit. You have been warned. You have not obeyed. Now the diamond will be taken from you. At the full of the moon, the two diamonds which are left and the right eye of the god shall return. So it is written. I am getting a heavy cult vibe from this right now. The first letter I treated as a joke, explained Miss Marvel. When I got the second, I began to wonder. The third one came yesterday, and it seemed to me that, after all, the matter might be more serious than I had imagined. I see they did not come by post, these letters. No, they were left by hand, by a Chinaman. That is what frightens me. Why? Because it was from a chink in San Francisco that Gregory bought the stone three years ago. I see, madame, that you believe the diamond referred to to be the Western Star, finished Miss Marvel. That's so. At the time, Gregory remembers that there was some story attached to the stone, but the chink wasn't handing out any information. Gregory says that he seemed just scared to death and in a mortal hurry to get rid of the thing. He only asked about a tenth of its value. It was Greg's wedding present to me. Oh, how thoughtful. Get a shadily bought Chinese diamond. Yeah. Poirot nodded thoughtfully. The story seems of an almost unbelievable romanticism. And yet, who knows? I pray of you, Hastings. Hand me my little almanac. I complied. Voyons, said Poirot, turning the leaves. When is the date of the full moon? Ah, Friday next. That is in three days' time. Eh bien, madame, you seek my advice, I give it to you. This belle histoire may be a hoax, but it may not. Therefore, I counsel you to place the diamond in my keeping until after Friday next. Then we can take what steps we please. A slight cloud passed over the actress's face, and she replied constrainedly, I am afraid that's impossible. You have it with you, eh? Poirot was watching her narrowly. The girl hesitated a moment, then slipped her hand into the bosom of her gown, drawing out a long, thin chain. She leaned forward, unclosing her hand. In the palm, a stone of white fire, exquisitely set in platinum, lay and winked at us solemnly. Ah, a diamond is winking at you solemnly. <laughs> Epatant, he murmured. You permit, madame. He took the jewel in his own hand and scrutinized it keenly, then restored it to her with a little bow. A magnificent stone, without a flaw. Ah, Santoré. And you carry it about you, comme ça. No, no, I'm very careful, really, Monsieur Poirot. As a rule, it's locked up in my jewel case and left in the hotel safe deposit. We're staying at the Magnificent, you know. I just brought it along today for you to see. And you will leave it with me, n'est-ce pas? You will be advised by Papa Poirot. <laughs> no, Papa Poirot. <laughs> well, that is hard to say, well. Well, you see, it's this way, Monsieur Poirot. On Friday, we're going down to Yardley Chase to spend a few days with Lord and Lady Yardley. Her words woke a vague echo of remembrance in my mind. Some gossip. What was it now? 
Oh, that's gonna end up being important. A few years ago, Lord and Lady Yardley had paid a visit to the States. Rumor had it that his lordship had rather gone the pace out there with the assistance of some lady friends, but surely there was something more. More gossip which had coupled Lady Yardley's name with that of a movie star in California. Why? It came to me in a flash. Of course, it was none other than Gregory B. Rolfe. I'll let you into a little secret, Monsieur Poirot, Miss Marvel was continuing. We've got a deal on with Lord Yardley. There is some chance of our arranging to film a play down there in his ancestral pile. At Yardley Chase, I cried, interested. Why, it's one of the show places of England, Miss Marvel nodded. I guess it's the real old feudal stuff, all right. But he wants a pretty stiff price, and of course, I don't know yet whether the deal will go through. But Greg and I like to combine business with pleasure. But I dem and pardon if I'm dense, madame. Surely it is possible to visit Yardley Chase without taking the diamond with you? A shrewd hard look came into Miss Marvel's eyes, which belied their childlike appearance. She looked suddenly a good deal older. I want to wear it down there. Surely, I said suddenly, there are some very famous jewels in the Yardley collection, a large diamond amongst them? That's so, said Miss Marvel briefly. Ah, c'est comme ça. Then he said aloud, with his usual uncanny luck in hitting the bullseye, he dignifies it by the name of psychology, then you are without a doubt already acquainted with Lady Yardley, or perhaps your husband is? I rose, went to the table at the other side of the room, and returned with the paper in question in my hand. She took it from me, found the article, and began to read aloud. Amongst other famous stones may be included the Star of the East, a diamond in the possession of the Yardley family. An ancestor of the present Lord Yardley brought it back with him from China, and romantic story is said to attach to it. According to this, the stone was once the right eye of a temple god. Another diamond, exactly in form and size, formed the left eye, and the story goes that this jewel too would, in course of time, be stolen. One eye shall go west, the other east, till they shall meet once more. Then, in triumph, shall they return to the god. It is a curious coincidence that there is, at the present time, a stone corresponding closely in description with this one, and known as the Star of the West, or the Western Star. It is the property of the celebrated film star, Miss Mary Marvel. Wow, Miss Mary Marvel, that's gotta be fun. A comparison of the two stones would be interesting. I stopped. Epatant, murmured Poirot. Without a doubt, a romance of the first water. He turned to Mary Marvel. And you are not afraid, madame? You have no superstitious terrors? You do not fear to introduce these two Siamese twins to each other, lest a Chinaman should appear and, hey, presto, whisk them both back to China? I just envisioned two Chinese boys just like saying, hey, presto, and then grabbing the diamonds and just flying back to China. His tone was mocking, but I fancy that an undercurrent of seriousness lay beneath it. I don't believe that Lady Yardley's diamond is anything like as good as mine, said Miss Marvel. Wow, <laughs> her diamond isn't as cool as mine, even though they look really similar. What more Poirot would have said, I do not know, for at the moment the door flew open and a splendid-looking man strode into the room. Oh, I'm splendid-looking, hmm. It must be Gregory. From his crisply curling black head to the tips of his patent leather boots, he was a hero fit for romance. I said I'd call round for you, Mary, said Gregory Rolfe, and here I am. Well, what does Monsieur Poirot say to our little problem? Just one big hoax, same as I do? Wow, what a supporting husband. Poirot smiled up at the big actor. They made a ridiculous contrast. Hoax or no hoax, Mr. Rolfe, he said dryly. I have advised Madame your wife not to take the jewel with her to the Yardley Chase on Friday. I'm with you there, sir. I've already said so to Mary. But there, she's a woman through and through, and I guess she can't bear to think of another woman outshining her in the jewel line. That may be correct, because she did mention how cool her jewel was before, but really, Greg? What nonsense, Gregory, said Mary Marvel sharply, but she flushed angrily. Poirot shrugged his shoulders. Madame, I have advised. I can do no more. C'est fini. 
He bowed them both to the door. Ah, la, la, he observed, returning. Histoire de femme. The good husband, he hit the nail on the head, tout de même. But he was not tactful, assuredly not. I imparted to him my vague remembrances, and he nodded vigorously. So I thought. All the same, there is something curious underneath all this. With your permission, mon ami, I will take the air. Await my return, I beg of you. I shall not be long. I was half asleep in my chair when the landlady tapped on the door and put her head in. It's another lady to see Mr. Poirot, sir. I've told her he was out, but she says as how she'll wait, seeing as she's come up from the country. Oh, show her in here, Mrs. Murchison. Perhaps I can do something for her. In another moment, the lady had been ushered in. My heart gave a leap as I recognized her. Lady Yardley's portrait had figured too often in the society papers to allow her to remain unknown. Do sit down, Lady Yardley, I said, drawing forward a chair. My friend Poirot is out, but I know for a fact that he'll be back very shortly. She thanked me and sat down. A very different type, this, from Mary Marvel. Tall, dark, with flashing eyes, a pale, proud face, yet something wistful in the curves of the mouth. I felt a desire to rise to the occasion. Why not? In Poirot's presence, I have frequently felt difficulty. I do not appear at my best. And yet there is no doubt that I, too, possess the deductive sense in a marked degree. I leaned forward on a sudden impulse. Lady Yardley, I said, I know why you have come here. You have received blackmailing letters about the diamond. All right, because Miss Marvel has the Star of the West, the Western Star, and she has the other one. So they're both getting blackmailed by random Chinese people, from what we know. <laughs> There was no doubt as to my bolt having shot home. She stared at me open-mouthed, all color banished from her cheeks. You know, she gasped, how? I smiled, by a perfectly logical process. If Miss Marvel has had warning letters, Miss Marvel, she's been here? She has just left. As I was saying, if she, as the holder of one of the twin diamonds, has received a mysterious series of warnings, you, as the holder of the other stone, must necessarily have done the same. You see how simple it is? I'm right then, you have received these strange communications also. For a moment, she hesitated, as though in doubt whether to trust me or not, and then bowed her head in assent with a little smile. That is so, she acknowledged. Were yours, too, left by hand? By a Chinaman? No, they came by post, but tell me, has Miss Marvel undergone the same experience, then? I recounted to her the events of the morning. She listened attentively. It all fits in. My letters are the duplicates of hers. It is true that they came by post, but there is a curious perfume impregnating them. Something in the nature of jostic that once suggested the East to me. What does it all mean? I shook my head. That is what we must find out. You have the letters with you? We might learn something from the postmarks. Unfortunately, I destroyed them. You understand, at the time, I regarded it as some fool's joke. Can it be true that some Chinese gang are really trying to recover the diamonds? It seems so incredible. We went over the facts again and again, but could get no further towards the elucidation of the mystery. At last, Lady Yardley rose. I really don't think I need wait for Monsieur Poirot. You can tell him all this, can't you? Thank you so much, Mr. She hesitated, her hands outstretched. Captain Hastings. She was talking to him about the mystery this whole time, and he didn't even introduce himself? Oh, come on, Captain Hastings, you can do better than this. Of course, how stupid of me. You're a friend of the Cavendishes, aren't you? It was Mary Cavendish who sent me to Monsieur Poirot. When my friend returned, I enjoyed telling him the tale of what had occurred during his absence. He cross-questioned me rather sharply over the details of our conversation, and I could read between the lines that he was not best pleased to have been absent. I also fancied that the dear old fellow was just the least inclined to be jealous. It had become rather opposed with him to constantly belittle my abilities, and I think he was chagrined at finding no loophole for criticism. I was secretly rather pleased with myself, though I tried to conceal the fact for fear of irritating him. In spite of his idiosyncrasies, I was deeply attached to my quaint little friend. 
I'm gonna keep comparing this to Sherlock and Watson because Sherlock, I mean, he does love showing off, that's his thing, but you know, he doesn't belittle Watson. He's he's vain, but he's not like vain. <laughs> he's like, Watson, see, you're getting better at this. While Watson is the one who's like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> Bien, he said at length with a curious look on his face. The plot develops. Pass me, I pray you, that peerage on the top shelf there. He turned the leaves. Ah, here we are. Yardley, 10th Viscount. Served South African War. Ça n'a pas d'importance. March 1907. Honorable Maud Stopperton, fourth daughter of third Baron Cotterill, um, um, has his two daughters, born 1908, 1910, clubs, residencies. Voila! That does not tell us much. But tomorrow morning we shall see this, my lord. What? Yes, I telegraphed to him. I thought you had washed your hands of the case. I am not acting for Miss Marvel, since she refuses to be guided by my advice. What I do now is for my own satisfaction. The satisfaction of Hercule Poirot! Decidedly, I must have a finger in this pie. And you calmly wire Lord Yardley to dash up to town just to suit your convenience. He won't be pleased. Au contraire, if I preserve for him his family diamond, he ought to be very grateful. Then you really think there is a chance of it being stolen? I asked eagerly. Almost a certainty, replied Poirot placidly. Everything points that way. But how... Poirot stopped my eager questions with an airy gesture of the hand. Not now, I pray you. Let us not confuse the mind. And observe that peerage. How you have replaced him. See you not that the tallest books go in the top shelf, the next tallest in the row beneath, and so on. Thus we have order, method, which, as I often told you, Hastings... Exactly, I said hastily, and put the offending volume back in its proper place. Oh, come now, Hastings, how could you possibly put the book away in the wrong place? And with all those rules? I mean, come on, how could you fail? <laughs> Who orders their books in order of size? And Poirot does, apparently. Lord Yardley turned out to be a cheery, loud-voiced sportsman with a rather red face, but with a good-humored bonhomie about him that was distinctly attractive and made up for any lack of mentality. Extraordinary business, this, Monsieur Poirot. Can't make head or tail of it. Seems my wife's been getting odd kind of letters, and that this Miss Marvel's had him too. What does it all mean? Poirot handed him the copy of Society Gossip. Okay, I love how Society Gossip is like an actual newspaper or like a magazine or something, because, I mean, Society Gossip? That's awesome. First, my lord, I would ask you if these facts are substantially correct. The peer took it. His face darkened with anger as he read. Darned nonsense, he spluttered. There's never been any romantic story attaching to the diamond. It came from India originally, I believe. I never heard all this Chinese god stuff. Still, the stone is known as the Star of the East. Well, what if it is, he demanded wrathfully. Poirot smiled a little, but made no direct reply. What I would ask you to do, my lord, is to place yourself in my hands. If you do so unreservedly, I have great hopes of averting the catastrophe. Then you think there's actually something in these wildcat tales? Will you do as I ask you? Of course I will, but... Bien, then permit that I ask you a few questions. This affair of Yardley Chase, is it, as you say, all fixed up between you and Mr. Rolf? Oh, he told you about it, did he? No, there's nothing settled. He hesitated, the brick-red color of his face deepening. Whoa, he's red. <laughs> I've made rather an ass of myself in many ways. Monsieur Poirot, and I'm head over tails in debt. But I want to pull up. I'm fond of the kids, and I want to straighten the things up, and be able to live on at the old place. Gregory Rolf is offering me big money, enough to set me on my feet again. I don't want to do it. I hate the thought of all that crowd play-acting around the chase. But I may have to, unless... He broke off. Poirot eyed him keenly. You have, then, another string to your bow? 
Permit that I make a guess. It is to sell the Star of the East. Lord Yardley nodded. That's it. It's been in the family for some generations, but it's not entailed. Still, it's not the easiest thing in the world to find a purchaser. Huffberg, the Hatton Garden man, is on the lookout for a likely customer, but he'll have to find it one soon, or it's a washout. One more question, permite. Lady Yardley, which plan does she approve? Oh, she's bitterly opposed to my selling the jewel. You know what women are. She's all for this film stunt. I comprehend, said Poirot. He remained a moment or so in thought, then rose briskly to his feet. You return to Yardley Chase at once? Bien. Say no word to anyone. To anyone, mind. But expect us there this evening. We will arrive shortly after five. So, that's where we're going to have to end it this week. Um... This was cool to read. There is so much French. Again, I'm sorry if I mispronounce anything. French is really difficult and I'm American, but it, it was really interesting to read. And for Agatha Christie, this is cool, you know? I've never read this before. So it was an adventure and I hope that the Western and the Eastern star are not in fact stolen by creepy Chinamen. <laughs> wow, this is only slightly racist, right? Remember, you can email me any book recommendations or really anything at classicmysteriespod at gmail.com. And I also made a Patreon page, so if you ever feel like donating, then the link is always in the description. Anyway, see you next Monday. Bye!